goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift. With every breath, I'm singing hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. The Christmas season is a fun season to come into. It's a busy season, and there's just so many things that could vie for our time, and uh, rightly so, because it is a special season. Um, the message this morning we're going to be talking is a, is a Christmas message, but it's not traditional in the sense that it's, a, it's not a story about Mary and Joseph and Bethlehem and, and the angels and the shepherds and the wise men. We're, not, we're probably not even going to talk about them, but we're going to talk about what Christmas is all about. We're going to talk about what it symbolizes the most about the Christmas season because it's what Jesus did. And we're going to be talking about submission and action. Really, this goes along with our study in 1 Peter. But it's amazing how 1 Peter talks about submission and how it relates to action. And that's exactly what Christmas is about. Christmas, Christmas is about the action that Jesus took to submit to his Father to come to earth to be the Savior. He never could have done it. He never would have done it if he wouldn't have had this act of submission. He had to submit to the Father's will so that we can have salvation today. Amen? That's a good thing. Submission is to a higher person or a higher calling. Something more than what we can understand or maybe even accept in our own right. And every person in the story of Christ's birth had to go through that. Think of Mary and Joseph. 
Think about the submission that they had to have to submit to the angel. When Mary was told by the angel that, Mary, you will give birth to a son, and she says, how can I? I'm still a virgin. And she, she just says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And she just said, let it be. And then Joseph woke up from a dream thinking, I had a weird dream last night. And then the angel appeared to him again and said, it's the truth. And he said, okay, I'll submit to it. And with that, all the different things and, and the way the wise men had to um, follow their plan, follow their dream, submit to what God was leading them to. And all, there was a lot of, there must have been a lot of questions in the minds of these people through the process of the Christmas season taking, coming to bear because it took time for this to happen. A lot of opportunities to question, a lot of opportunities to unsubmit a once submitted heart. Think of that. How many times are we tempted to unsubmit a one-time submitting heart? Yeah, a lot of time, a lot of temptations to say, I'm not, I'm not getting enough out of this, or this isn't really happening for me, so I'm going to give up on this Christian thing. Well, I'm telling you, Mary and Joseph had plenty of days to give up on it too. But they didn't. And I'm encouraging all of us this morning that we will take the same form of submission as Mary and Joseph, that we would submit to the calling of what God has placed on our hearts and on your lives because you have a calling placed upon you. You are part of the church like we've talked about. And God calls his church to action. And it comes through the acting of submission first. And as we submit to his work in our lives, he will perform the work. I can't even plan it out. I cannot even plan the next sentence out before the Lord just gives the words to speak. That's the way our lives should be as we walk out in submission in our jobs, in our lives that we should just be waiting for Lord to Lord to give us the word that we then should submit to it, to, to speak it and then to live it. So I want to talk this morning more about submission. And last week we defined the terms to submit and the terms for submission. And just let me remind us what they were. One could subdivide the word submit to sub-commit. Sub-commit. Sub means to come under the authority or to surrender one's authority to another. And then commit means to give a promised devotion or an allegiance. So if I'm going to submit, I'm going to sub myself, I'm going to sub my purposes, and I'm going to commit to then fulfilling the purposes of what I'm submitting to. I'm subcommitting myself. The Greek word that is used in Scripture is hypotasso. Hypotasso, and it means exactly that. It means that we are to come under, be subject to, to be obedient to, to be subject to control, to surrender authority. Man, those are hard words for us Americans to think that we're going to surrender our authority. But that's what it means to submit, to, su to come under another's authority in the form of respect and commitment. And then the word submission is a very similar meaning in that we are to come under the mission of the person that we're submitting to. The Greek word is the same Greek word, hypotasso, same Greek word for submit and submission. And it means the same thing, but this one is a little bit different in the fact that I'm actually coming under the mission of another. And that means that I need to understand what the mission is of the other I'm coming unto. 
So when I come under submission to the church, we talked about it at this at length last week, talked about I have to understand the mission of the church if I'm going to be submission to it. The mission of the church, we talked about it, is to go out and win the lost, disciple the lost, love each other, commit to each other, support each other, fellowship with each other, be the bride of Christ together. It's not one off here and one off there. No, it's together. It's so important that we think of the church as coming together. Two or three are gathered. What's this, what the word say? He's there with us. He's listening. If two or more agree on anything, what does the Lord do? He lets it be done. He gives it according to his will. Amen. So, but we have to come together. So submission is a key word for us because we in our culture today like to be independent. We like to think we can do it on our own. We like to think, I've got this. I don't need you and you don't need me and I'm going to do it my way. Well, when we start doing that, who are we really submitting to? Because we're going to submit to somebody or something. Because I don't care how you think of yourself or I don't know how much I think of myself, none of us are outside the realm of submission. It's just who are we submitting to? There's two major forces, evil and good. There's not a third one. <laughs> it's either evil or it's good, and I'm going to submit to one of them. And when I start going down the path and I'm going to do it my way, like the song says, I did it my way, what a great tune, but a terrible message. <laughs> it's that we are not going to be successful Submitting to myself. I have to submit to Christ. If I am going to have an eternity that I can have hope in, I must learn how to submit to Christ and Christ alone. So I must come under his submission. Throughout the letter, encouraging and instructing the Jewish Christians of the early church to continue to serve Jesus no matter how difficult it becomes for them they were going through severe persecution that's the whole purpose of this letter is talking about suffering under persecution and today we want to continue to look at what it means to submit and putting our submission into action so look at our text first peter chapter 2 beginning at verse 16 it says live as free people but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil live as god's slaves verse 17 show proper respect to everyone love the family of believers fear god honor the emperor slaves in reverent fear of god submit yourselves to your masters not only to those who are good and considerate but also to those who are harsh for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of god but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. There's a lot of meat here in this passage. Peter uses the word slaves. Slaves. In this translation, that you are God's, live as God's slaves. In other translations, he used the word servant. The Greek word for servant, to live as God's servant, is doulos. And it means to be a servant or a slave. And in the New Testament, a person 
was owned, typically, there were a lot of slavery in the New Testament era. They were owned as a possession for various lengths of times. For the Hebrew, if you were a Hebrew, you had a seven-year limitation. A Gentile was without time limit. You were of lower social status than free persons. And here's the deal. Slaves could earn or purchase their freedom. Different world than we live in today. And it's interesting that Peter uses the word, the term slave or servant of God when, as we understand this definition of what it means to be a slave. A couple things to think about here when we start looking about submitting or submission as a slave to a master. First of all, the servant is owned as a possession. He's a possession of the master, but he can earn or purchase his freedom. Seems to indicate that there's a choice in the matter at some, at some point of servanthood. But as Peter uses the term servant to be a, a message or to be a servant of God, there comes that time when it does become a choice. Do I want to continue to be a servant of God? Or can I purchase my freedom and be independent of God? Well, then who are you really even a slave of if that's the case? The second thing here is that the person in this passage is instructed to live as free people, but don't use your freedoms to justify your sins. Rather, choose to live as an indebted slave to Christ through a sub-commitment or a submission, a submitting process to His holiness. In other words, we choose to be indebted to Christ and then to live like it. And don't use your freedoms to do whatever you think you can do as a cover-up for your evil. Don't use your justifications to say, well, I have freedom in the New Testament under grace to do whatever I want to do as a cover-up for really what's an evil intent in your heart. There's a lot of personal searching that needs to, be, needs to go on here. What truly is my intent of what I'm doing? Why do I do what I do? Why do you do what you do? Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. This is a very big point that can't be overlooked because this is how we really show our love for Christ when I have the freedom to dishonor Him, when I have the freedom to disobey Him, and I choose not to. That truly gives us a measurement of how much I love Him. Some might look at it and say, well, you're just trying to earn your salvation. And I will, I will tell you right now that is not the case. I am not trying to do that. I cannot, nor can you do that. You cannot be good enough to earn your salvation. We earn our salvation as a gift of God through the blood of Christ that he gave to us, and now we simply receive it. Sometimes it takes a little bit of encouragement on our part to receive it, doesn't it? Sometimes we need to be encouraged to do that but it's in our choice to remain indebted to his service even though we're free to live any way we want to when i choose holiness that's showing jesus that you know lord i really love you when i choose to be holy in an unholy world where it's unpopular and i'm going against the grain at the job i'm going against the grain at school and i'm going to choose to stay holy it's because I love you, Jesus, and I thank you for choosing me. I thank you for saving me. I'm indebted to you. I am a bond slave. 
I am choosing to remain a slave to your goodness. I'm choosing to remain a slave to your love. And I'm proving it because I'm indebted to you and I'm going to be holy. I'm not going to use my freedoms here to cover up things. And you know, in this world, it's, it seems so... It seems so confusing. I will say this. It seems so confusing because there are some people that we probably can, you can think of them in your, as we think of them right now, you probably can name them, that truly aren't living a Christ-like life but seem to have it all. Lots of money, lots of cars, lots of friends. Everything's good on the outside. But they certainly don't be appearing to live for Jesus, do they? Kind of confusing. See, it's our choice. A lot of people we see abusing our bodies with all kinds of indulgences, but yet they seem relatively healthy. People just do all kinds of weird things. You know, George Burns would smoke that cigar, and he lived to be how many hundreds of years, 100 years old? Come on. And all those other people that were afraid of it died at 70. I don't know. I don't get it. And I, how can some people just abuse their lives and their bodies and still appear to be healthy where others are working so hard to be healthy and they die? I don't get it. See, here's the point. God gives us a long leash in this life. He does not judge right now. But that doesn't mean he's not watching. He doesn't mean he's not paying attention. And it doesn't mean that he's still not honoring those that are choosing to be holy, choosing to live a right life, even though you may not have the cars, you may not have the wealth, but you know you've got something so much better because you've got peace. Amen? Do, do, do you get that? Yeah. Peter's giving solid instruction and a good warning that we don't use our freedoms as a cover-up for evil. Even though God isn't going to bring swift punishment necessarily, not that we know of at least, he's still seeing what's going on. And, it's, and, and when, when we can have that perspective of that long-term thinking we truly know, can have a much better appreciation for submitting to him when I can think of it in a long-term perspective. Peter goes on in verse 17. It says, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. You can almost hear the, the emphasis and the frustration almost in Peter's voice by saying, Guys, will you just behave? <laughs> just be good people. Just learn what it is to respect people, to love the family of God and, and fear God above all things and just be a good citizen. You don't have to be rebellious. No one's asking you here to be super spiritual either. Just show your love for Christ. Be real in your life. Be authentic in who you are. It's almost like he's saying, guys, it's really not all about you anyways. Do you know that? It's just about being in a submitted way to Christ and, and then just live that way. But don't make everything about you and your uh, personal gain for the moment. Just, just relax. Be who you are. Be comfortable. Just submit to God and trust him. And then... He's going to get on in verse 18 and beyond, actually getting into some spuse, some, a few specifics on how we truly can be submitting our lights to Christ and putting our submission into action. Let's continue on. Verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and still endure it? 
But if you suffer for good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Hmm. And this may not be properly understood today because we don't have slaves. So we don't really, maybe we don't really understand what he's talking about, about slaves submitting to masters and so forth. But Bible teacher John Carmelek says this about this passage. He says, during the rule of the Roman Empire, most people were slaves. Slavery could be a temporary time span as a punishment for a crime or a lifelong situation. And here's the tough part. Peter is saying, in effect, slaves, submit yourself to your master even if he beats you. That's what Peter's saying. Slaves, even if your master treats you harshly, submit to him. Contrary to our thinking, isn't it? I know it. I mean, that's, this is where we want to fight back, where we want to run, you know, flight or, fight or flight. But Peter here, understand, is in no way condoning slavery. We, have, we must recognize that. He's no way condoning it. It's just part of their society. And I'm sure if it was up to Peter, they would have, he would have abolished slavery. If it would have been up to him, he would have said, okay, everybody's free. But it wasn't up to him. He was living in a society, much like we're living in a society, that things happen to us out of our control. So now it becomes about our attitude. How are we living in things that are beyond our control? I'm sure that there's many other injustices in your life. You may not be a slave, but you may be feeling like you're a slave at work. <laughs> you may have an employer that may be a hard employer. You may have some injustices in your life that might, you might feel like you're a, a, treated, a slave being treated badly. Well, let's just continue on because there are some things here that, mean, that, that will impact us. If it's, if it's one thing to suffer for doing the wrong thing and then getting your just reward. And I don't think any of us here have a problem with that concept. But it's when you've done the right thing and you still suffer for it. That's the problems that, that of, people's, of Peter's day, of his people that they were going through quite regularly. And so many of us are going through that same thing today. You probably have a lot of examples in your mind where you were just doing the right thing and look what happened. How did it turn out? Because now it's becoming about our attitude in the face of injustice. How, what is our attitude when things are just not happening according to our justice, according to God's justice system, actually? Let me just make a statement. Life isn't fair. You may not appreciate that, but that's the truth. Life just isn't fair. So now that I've said it, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> are we going to whine about it? Are we going to complain about it? Or, or can we just accept it and have a godly attitude about it? Well, what does a godly attitude look like when life isn't fair and you're being treated unjustly? Let's continue on. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 25. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us a good example of how to bear up under unjust suffering. 
Think of it this way. If someone hits you, they're expecting you to get mad and hit them back. True? <laughs> I mean, think of your schoolyard scuffs. You know, if somebody hit you, they wanted to fight. And it was no fun if you didn't fight back. It takes two to fight, by the way. My dad told me that all the time. I used to hate that. When he'd come and get after Barney and I, and I would say, well, Barney, he'd say, no, Mike. He said, it takes two to fight, so you're getting it too. Let's go. But see, that's the world's way of dealing with something that isn't right, that we would take the corrective action on our part, that we would hit him back, wouldn't we? That we would respond to that that we would feel it's our right to react in the situation and make our rights as a person the most important thing so that we can justify our retaliation back to them. It was my right to hit them back because they hit me first. Well, I'm going to go to one of the hardest passages in the Bible for us to understand and apply right now. And I'm going to tell you that I need as much help on this as any person alive. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. You might want to open your Bible if you have it and read through this with me. Beginning at verse 38. You've heard that it was said, this is Jesus speaking, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand your, over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. It just, doesn't it just burn you when Jesus comes at us with these things like this? Come on, Jesus, give us a break here. And I got to tell you, I, I had to go to refer to a Bible study commentary on this one because I couldn't figure that, I couldn't do this one on my own. So I'm just going to read to you what somebody told me because I needed help in this area. I don't know what to do about this because that's a hard passage for me. I don't know if it is for you, but it is hard to think that I have to give in. I have to give someone my shirt and my coat. If someone slaps me in the right cheek, I have to turn the, other, the, the left cheek to them. That's hard work. How do you deal with this? Well, this is what the commentary said. Jesus is not talking about letting wicked people getting away with terrible behavior and refusing to apply proper justice toward those who are evil. So first of all, recognize that. Go back to last week's study. Uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 4, we talked about authority. Romans chapter 13, verse 4 says, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So Peter is not saying that this is where the evil runs rampant. Okay, but now he's talking about our reaction to it. So let's go back to the commentary here. The verses that follow in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 48 that talk about loving your enemies clarify that Jesus is referring to loving and showing kindness to one's enemies. When we are wronged, we are not to react in a spirit of hatred, but in a way that shows Christ-like character and values. Our actions toward those who are unkind to us should cause them to consider what our Lord is like. Our example might lead them to accept Christ as our as their Lord and Savior. What does Matthew chapter 5 say, verse 43 and 48? Well, let's talk about this. This is pretty big. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. 
He causes his son to rise on the evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Man, it just gets harder and harder here. And I have to really stop and think about my life. How have I done that? How have I shown people the love of Christ when I've been taken advantage and hurt? Or have I used my freedoms to cover up my evil? Have I used my freedoms to be in, of, of being my rights in every situation as a way to miss what Jesus really wanted to have happen in that situation? Think about this for a minute with me, if you will. Jesus' intention here, I believe his intention, is to use my love for people rather than using my right to be right to show the love and grace of Jesus as more important than me getting my way. Does that make sense? Jesus is trying to use us in this example of being treated unjustly to show people how Jesus was treated unjustly and he still loved them. What a perfect opportunity for us to plant a seed in the heart of people. What a perfect opportunity for us to show people that Jesus' love for people is evident in the people that claim to love him. Man, this is where it's really easy to be a hypocrite. This is where it's really easy to fall off the wagon. This is where many Christians blow it, including myself. And we've lost our testimony before the, Lord, before the world. And I think maybe a way to help us here is that we have to continue to put in our minds that this is not our home. This is not our home. The injustices that are happening to me here are not going to be eternal. Everything will pass. So therefore, if I can maintain that perspective of Man, it's so unfair. I'm being taken up so an advantage of, I've, or whatever the situation is, if I can just recognize that this is just a season of time, it's just a short time of my life, and really what Jesus is trying to get me to understand here is that if I will react in love towards these people, and if I can plant the seed of eternal life in their life, that I will have rewards that will last for eternity if I can just keep myself collected here. I like what Janine said in Sunday school today. A two-second pause is worth 20 minutes of apology. Because once we say the words, we can never get them back. Once they come out, you can't bring them back. Once you hit that send on Facebook, you can't get it back. Once you send that, hitting that button, how many of us have sent a text message and hit the send button before you meant to hit it? Oh, I've done that a few times and I'm thinking, man, I hope I didn't say something bad. You know, I'm telling you, how much can we just appreciate the fact that when I truly submit to God's process, I can help him build the kingdom rather than help the enemy tear it down. When I can submit under God's love for people and I can make that my love for people, and when I can pray, Father, make me more like Jesus. Make me more like Jesus. I have to be more like Jesus before I can act like Jesus. Give me the love that Jesus had for people. Jesus hung on a cross. A couple examples here of, 
of true forgiveness and true coming under the mission of what God is asking for, it was, it was Jesus, number one, on the cross, Luke 23, 34. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he said, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Could you imagine that? Jesus hanging on the cross. They're ridiculing him. They're, they've just beaten him, and he has such compassion for those people. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Just forgive them. What kind of influence do you think that Jesus' attitude of forgiveness was to the people that were watching that day? What do you think the, what do you think the attitude was? What do you think the influence of Jesus was then? Well, we know what the influence was on one of the thieves. There were two thieves hanging on the cross. One of the thieves was impacted in a, by, in a positive nature here. Luke 23, 39 one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, Truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, recognize that this passage here is verse 39 and 43 through 43. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they did not what they do. That was verse 34. Jesus for- said that before the thief in the cross said what he said. So do you think if Jesus would have said, Father, I rebuke these people. Kill them. Strike them dead. Do you think the thief ever would have come to that realization that Jesus was suffering unjustly? No, it's the way our attitude is in our unjust suffering that when I can have the love of Christ, all of a sudden things can be different and I can be that example. Now you might be saying, well, Mike, that was Jesus. Of course we're going to expect Jesus to do that. But let me give you another example that isn't Jesus, that did the same thing. Let's go, let's go to the example of Stephen. Anybody know the story of Stephen? Stephen was not a disciple he was not an apostle. He didn't see Jesus. He wasn't trained by Jesus. He was, Stephen was an ordinary Joe, just an ordinary guy. Now, he got involved with the disciples, and he was part of the new church. He became a Christian, but he wasn't anything special. The account of Stephen is recorded in Acts chapter 6. You can go home and read this later if you'd like to. But the, the, what was going on here is the church was growing rapidly and there were many people coming in, and there were a number of needs that had to be handled in the church. There were a number of widows that were not being taken care of properly, weren't being served, and it was getting more than the, than the disciples could do on their own. So they decided that they needed to appoint some elders, some deacons, some helpers. Let's pick it up in Acts chapter 6, verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also six others. All right? So here's Stephen, not one of the disciples, to be a servant, to serve food. Stephen was not a born leader, he was not a trained theologian. He was no one special. He was not handpicked by Jesus. He was just an ordinary guy. But what was amazing about Stephen is that he was full of the Spirit. And he loved Jesus more than he loved his life. 
Folks, that's you and I today. And there's nothing special about us. Nothing special about me. Nothing special about you other than the fact that we love Jesus. The question is, are we going to love him more than we love our life? It goes on. And Stephen, he's in front of the Sanhedrin. He's in front of the Jewish leaders. He was called in because of some accusations made against him. Stephen had an audience with the religious leaders of the day, and he gave a gospel message to them. He went through the whole account. You can read that in chapter 6, or chapter 6 and 7, actually. You can read the whole thing, how he went through from Moses all the way through Jesus' death and resurrection. And when he, gave the, when he, when he said this, the Sanhedrin, they were furious, picking it up in Acts chapter 7, 54 through 60. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is not Jesus saying this. This is an ordinary Joe. This is you. This is me. When I'm treated unjustly like this, can I say, Jesus, hold this not against them? Can my love for people be so big because of my love for Christ that when something happens to me, when somebody steals my parking spot, when somebody passes me in the freeway or on a, on a highway or does something to me, when they offend me somehow or some way, can I say, Jesus, don't hold it against them. I forgive them. How many times, guys, do we slip up on things that are so much smaller than being stoned? <laughs> How many times do we, do, we, do we miss the mark? Do we miss the point? Jesus is saying, if you're going to submit to me, if you're going to be one of my followers, and if you're going to be effective as a follower in your submission to me, then you need to learn to forgive people and say, Jesus, don't hold it against them. Jackie, if you'd come this morning, we can conclude now. And this morning, as we look, quite, e quite honestly, at the easy life that we live, because we live a pretty easy life, we must ask ourselves the questions, am I truly living a life submitted to the mission of Jesus? Am I truly living the life, repeat this with me, am I truly living the mission of Jesus? Say it again. Am I truly living the mission of Jesus? Of Jesus. Because at the end of the day, guys, that's all that's going to count. Let them take all my money. Let them take everything I have. And at the end of the day, if I'm living the mission of Jesus, if I'm submitting to him, if I'm coming under submission to him, then when I get to heaven, it's going to be a grand day. It's going to be awesome. But if I'm living to my own devices, if I'm getting my own evenness, if I'm taking out the wrath of God on them myself, do we understand it? Can we really appreciate this? This morning, this is a 
a really good way for us to come into submission to the table of communion. Because communion is a very serious thing. Because when I pick up this emblem here and take it, I truly am saying, Father, I'm coming under your mission. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we appreciate the hard things of your word that make us think about the goodness of who you are. What's so amazing about it, Lord, is that all the teaching that you gave to those people then and to us today, you don't give it and then leave us alone to do it on our own because we couldn't do it on our own. This is where we need to really depend upon you. We really need to invite you, Holy Spirit, in our lives to give us the power to do the things that you're asking us to do. So this is not a hard word. This is a, hard, this is a word of truth that we then just need to depend more on you every day. So Lord, I pray as we search our hearts right now, Lord, are we truly living the life of Christ? Can you help us in this area, Jesus? Amen. Thank you, Lord. This morning, if you would like to receive communion, I would invite you to come up front with us. Communion is not stating that we're living perfect lives. What it is we're saying, what it is saying is that we're living forgiven lives. Because when I recognize what's going on here, when I recognize that my life, I clearly am not doing all that I should be doing, but I'm asking Jesus to help me. I'm asking him to forgive me, and I'm living a life of re in repentance. So this morning, would you like to receive communion with me this morning? If you would, would you, would you come forward with us? And let's just celebrate the Lord's table this morning. You do not have to be a member of the church. Just the only requirement of communion is to love you love Jesus. And that you really truly are submitting to him to the best that you can. In Jesus' name. You know, I know that communion is something that we, if we're not careful, we can really take it for granted, can't we? I mean, it's something we do on a regular basis, at least once a month. Maybe we'll do it more. But do we truly understand what it means when we take the cracker, we take the juice, and truly understand what Jesus did on the cross for us and his death and resurrection? What this is, this is a reminder to us every time we take it that we're recognizing and that we're appreciating the submission of Christ. Does that make sense? Do we, are we really getting it this morning? I think we are. I mean, I have to ask myself questions like this so that I know that I'm getting it. I'm not berating anyone here, and I'm not saying that you're not. I just, this is the way I think. I have to ask myself these questions on a regular basis. When I do something that seems so routine, I have to remind myself, why am I doing this? Amen. I am so thankful that Jesus followed through on his commitments, aren't you? I'm so thankful that he followed through, that he didn't get halfway through the process and say, you know, God, this is too hard. This hurts too much. I'm out of here. Call in the angels. I'm done. He could have, do you know that? And he could have done it. I'm so thankful that he endured the cross, scorning its shame for you and I today. 
So as you take this crack in your hand, would you just ask yourself the question, do I really appreciate this? Do I really appreciate what he did? And am I living my life so that it's evident? And if I'm not, can I start today? Can I make some changes in my life today that people would see, boy, there's something different about that person today. That's what it's all about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this cracker which symbolizes your broken body. We thank you so much that you didn't stop. That you were fully committed to the mission. We thank you so much. And now we eat this cracker in remembrance of you. Amen. Let's eat together. You hold a cup here of juice, which symbolizes the blood of Christ. Again, the fact that Jesus committed himself all the way through the process. There's going to come a day, folks, when we're going to stand before Jesus, and he's going to say, Welcome home, child. Now come sit at me with, at the table, and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve you. I just can't grasp that. And when I really think about it, it breaks me up to think that Jesus is going to serve us this cup of communion at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we're going to be able to look to him face to face. Close your eyes and just imagine this if you can. Just imagine that Jesus hands you this cup. Look in his eyes. What do you see? What do you see? Do you see love? Do you see acceptance? Lord, help me to see that today. Help me to see that when I'm going through the hard things of life here today. When we walk out of this building today, help me to close my eyes and see your eyes. Help me to see this world the way you see this world. Forgive me, Jesus, for the times I've lost it. Forgive me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink together. Amen. Now let's just take a minute and sing the song the guys are playing and let's just worship him. Let's just worship Jesus and thank him for what he's done for us.
Father, we are so thankful for the victory of Jesus Christ. So thankful that you completed the mission. And now we are on mission for you. So I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us as we go through our homes today, as we go to our places of business, our places of living in this world, that we truly would show the world that we love you by loving them, by us being true to the, to the mission of Jesus. Help us, Lord. We need your help. We're not doing this on our own. There is no one here that can do this without you. So we are just coming to you and say, help us. Help us as we go. Help us to depend on you more and more. And we give you praise. We give you thanks. And we give you glory in Jesus' holy name. Amen.